Welcome to the New Books Network. And we are live. Okay. Hello to Anna Oldswanger. Hello, Mel. It's so wonderful to have you on the program. I, I always get so excited that I forget to introduce the program. So um, I'm Mel Rosenberg, and I'm the host. Actually, I'm also the founder of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And I have the wonderful author and agent, and who, who knows, perhaps future publisher, Anna Olswanger. And, and I also have another plan for you, Anna, because I know that you also like interviewing people. So I'm thinking of retiring and then passing the baton to you. Thank you. <laughs> in, in the meantime, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to I'm, be here. I, I'm deeply honored uh, that you agreed to be on. Um, I've interviewed uh, two of your uh, wonderful clients, uh, Miri Leshampelli and uh, Martin uh, Lemelman, who also have the same initials. I think that um, I'm going to oh. tell everybody that in order to become your uh, one of your um, right clients, pe- people, you have to have oh. a, a first name that begins with an M and a second name that begins with an L, and it's, it's downhill after that. Could you imagine an, an agent or editor responding that? We're so sorry. We can't accept your manuscript because we, you don't have the right initials, <laughs> which is about as arbitrary as some of the rejections are. Listen, this is an idea for a book. I'm writing this down. Okay. You know, because what, what advantage do I get interviewing all these wonderful people um, is I get ideas. <laughs> Actually, um, I do have two book ideas for you. And after we talk, I'll email them to you. I was thinking they actually would be perfect based on what you've done so far. Well, we can, we can come back online afterwards. And just, we'll just okay. throw everybody out and then we'll come back. Okay. Uh, Anna, but this, this is about you. Um, I've discovered that uh, you are a, um, an esteemed author of children's books. Um, you have three that I know about and many that you're keeping hidden. Um, and uh, you are also a uh, wonderful agent. I know that from the people you represent. Um, and um, you also ha- are, are a wonderful daughter. So I'm going to shut up now. You talk. I did not. I spent years and years and years as an aspiring writer. Um, never really got to publish the way I had hoped. And how many years ago, 2005, I discovered, I I actually enrolled, I discovered in the course of being a writer that I really liked submitting. I liked the business of it. I liked discovering editors. I liked hearing from them what they wanted, what they were interested in. So I thought I actually wanted to be in publishing. So I lived in Baltimore. I took the bus every week up to New York. explored New York, and then got the chance to get a job, and not in publishing, um, but I moved to the New York area and started the Certificate in Book Publishing Program at NYU. Again, always thinking I would go into publishing, but I took, you know, you have to take a certain number of courses. I took How to Be an Agent course and loved it, just loved it. Um, So I interned for the agent who taught the course. And then when he got tired of me, I interned for another agent who was in his suite. And then she asked me to join her agency. 
So it was, and what I loved about it was, I mean, you, you could say it's altruistic. You know, I love helping other people refine their vision, get the manuscript ready, and, and the thrill that they get when they get an offer. But it's also just the fun of publishing, that you're just in it. Um, you get to see books take place, and it doesn't even matter if it's your book. You know, it's just, it's like the miracle of seeing a plant grow. You know, how can you conceive of the food you eat, you know, is this seed in the dirt? Um, and it's the same thing with the manuscript, to just the excitement of a raw text that becomes a book with art that gets reviewed, that's in libraries, it's in bookstores that kids get to talk about. Um, I just think it's a, a wonderful world. So I, I didn't discover that joy of helping someone else get published until years and years, you know, after I had been struggling. And so, and to connect that with uh, what you said about the daughter is my my father was a musician and so he left a lot of music behind some he recorded some he didn't and it's just that same kind of thrill of taking an unrefined piece of creativity and bringing it to the world i, I found a music publisher for his music um it goes out into the world you know i um, he just actually uh, won an award in Memphis, which is where we grew up. Um, and I'll go for this ceremony next year. But it's it's just that fun of bringing something to the world. And it's also the challenge. I mean, you know how hard it is to get published. And it's hard for agents, too. And when I go out with a new manuscript, it's like the hunt has started. You know, and I can't wait to go in for the kill, you know, when, when I get that editor. Um, so there's a thrill to it also. Um, that's it. Okay, but it's a little vicarious, isn't it? It is. But, you know, I think that that's what keeps me doing my own work because it's not just my own work. You know, I'm, I'm working everything in. I wouldn't want to do without either. I wouldn't want to stop being an agent. I wouldn't want to stop writing. I wouldn't want to stop promoting my dad's music. So it's a symphony. Um, it's 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 pulling it all together. It's a buffet. Yes. Yes. Anna, Anna's buffet. Okay. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Have your own um, uh, your own company, your own literary agency. Uh, I think maybe perhaps you're sitting in your premises as we talk. <laughs> it, look, it looks, like, looks like a publishing house. Well, I, one, of my, one of my joys is making order out of chaos. So there's always a lot of chaos, um, always trying to make order. I, I believe in limited chaos um, or limited sloppiness. Um, I didn't invent that term, but as a scientist, I think you have to be a little sloppy. So perhaps as a writer also. Right. Um, okay, let, let's go back to uh, to young Anna. You grew up in Memphis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell, tell us a little bit about young Anna and how you were drawn to books. You know, like 
it, it, first of all, you know, it was a world without computers. It was a world um, television had just really come in. When I was a kid, it was uh, colored television came in. So I probably watched too much television as a kid, which as an adult now, I, I, I consider somewhat passive. Um, but it was such a creative time. Television was so creative. It, it was, you know, my favorite Martian. You yeah, know, Martian. yes, yes. You know, the, the Martian. It just seems so creative. Um, uh, and ideas, and so, and I, and so, I didn't differentiate between television and books. You know, it was it was the same kind of new world. Um, and unfortunately, when I was older, I would say middle grade, what's called middle grade now. I went to a school that was very high pressure, and I stopped reading for pleasure because there was no time. You just you just studied for tests. And I didn't regain my joy of reading until really later in college and, and even somewhat after that. And it's, you know, so I lost time. But at the same time, I, I just have a joy in reading now um, because it's for me. You know, it is not for a test. It is not you know, what's the theme? You know, who are the main characters? I don't care. You know, I just I just want to read the story. Um, I read 10 books at a time now. Um, you know, they're all stacked on my table. Um, there's just so much out there. You know, how could you limit it to one book at a time? Um, well, when did you start writing? When I was in high school, I couldn't I knew I didn't want to be a musician because my father was a musician. And, you know, this was the uh, 60s. You didn't want to do anything close to what your parents did. So I wanted yeah, to... You're, you're, I should say your, your father, Beryl Olswanger, was a wonderful jazz musician and composer. <laughs> uh, you sent me his music. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Marshall Poe, who runs uh, MBN, uh, if you'll... At the end of our uh, conversation, if you put the, some of your dad's music on, if you will send me something that's copyright free, uh, I'll be happy to ask him. Okay. So you, you loved your dad's music, but you, you didn't want to compete with him? I didn't feel like I had a chance. Um, he, was, he was too good. Um, and and he, had it, he had a lock on it. Um, so I chose art and writing, but I could never decide which. And I actually thought art was the direction I would go in because, because as I said, it was such a pressured school that I didn't want to have anything to do with intellectual <laughs> knowledge. Who, I didn't. I didn't. Who, I didn't. Who, who sent you to this pressured school and I, why? It was the times. Um, yeah, my parents wanted their kids to succeed, so they sent us to private schools that were college preparatory schools. But it, I think it. Now, the schools have changed, but the, and what I think they did was squelch creativity. Um, so I could not wait to be creative when I left that school. Yeah, I didn't want to write a term paper. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything that was not creative. But what happened was this was, you know, the tail end of the 60s, it was the 70s, the middle 70s, and the college I went to, to accommodate the times, had eliminated all requirements. 
you could take whatever you want. You could take 120 hours of whatever you wanted. So in the art department, why would I take drawing? That was too hard. You know, I just jumped right into painting. And so what happened was by the time I was a senior, I couldn't paint because I had no basic drawing skills. Yeah, and so it was a very frustrating experience for me that I could not paint what I wanted to paint. So I gave up art and I went back to writing um, and stuck with writing. And But of course, now as an agent, I am so enamored of art with text um, that that's what I focus on as an agent. So I didn't kill it, um, but I left it. And, and I, I do hope to go back. I hope okay. to take art. We're going to go back to your writing career, but you've already segued into your uh, career as a uh, as a literary agent. And um, most agents today who take, uh, for example, picture book uh, authors uh, will take only picture book authors and illustrators. And I've had somebody on the show who said that was because of financial gain. And in our discussion leading up to this conversation, you had another take on this. Can you remind me what I said? <laughs> I can. Why you represent the authors and illustrators is because you like to see the whole picture. Oh, okay. Okay. I do. Well, I, and I'm also still a visual person. I cannot fully evaluate a manuscript unless I see the art. Um, there are lots of great agents that just represent the text and more power to them. Um, and that may be my flaw that I, I can't, but it's just so wonderful to click. So it, 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 it's, it's not a financial issue. You know, I mean, there is more money if you're representing the package, but there's no difference between that than if you represented one artist, one author, <clears throat> you know, it's still two parts. But, um, and the reason for me that it's not always more money is because I'm stubborn and I like to keep sending a manuscript out until it finds a home. And it's not unusual that that home is a small press that doesn't pay much money. Um, okay. But, but I have to ask you this, Anna, um, because most of the editors I've spoken to uh, and or I've listened to in podcasts or in meetings um, they actually like to, to pair. They like to be the ones who control the pairing process. Um, and, you know, I, I have a book out and um, I, I couldn't budge them even one millimeter on picking the illustrator. In the end, they, they, they picked the most amazing illustrator in the world for me. But um, that, the editors like to do that. They like to be the ones who decide. Uh, and you are giving them like the whole caboodle and say, take it or leave it. Yeah. I mean, and there are a lot of agents like that. And it's interesting. Now, I have I have submitted to a few British publishers, and they are exactly what you said. They want to find the illustrator. Um, and in fact, I submitted a package to one British publisher, and I said, we like the text. We don't like her art. So would she be open to just, you know, licensing her text to us, which she was? Um, and that's happened to me in the U.S. I have really talented author illustrators and I'll send the package and the publisher will say, you know, can somebody else illustrate this? Which, you know, is devastating to the author illustrator. Um, but then, you know, then you have to decide, do I want to be published or not? You know, um, 
it, it's an interesting experience. You know, you find, and it's not that you're selling out if you make that decision that, okay, just take my text or um, whatever. Um, you're deciding on what's going to be the next step to lead you where you want to be. You know, sometimes you can't just take that quantum leap. You do have to take it step by step. And so maybe that interim step is not quite what you wanted, but it will lead to what you wanted. So I think I think I asked my clients to consider that, um, you know, when that kind of situation arises. So, Anna, because we've we've established a relationship, we're friends now. And um, I should tell everybody, you, you're never going to represent me because I can't draw a stick man, um, which is which is okay. I, I would rather be friends. Um, but um, somebody is going to going to think the following. Um, I, I look at children's books as something that's holy. For me, these are like prayer books, children's books. Um, and um, you are a kind of a rabbi or a rebbitzin in this in this area because essentially you decide which prayers go into the uh, prayer. Uh, and, you know, most of the important editors, they really don't have time to look at slush piles. You're the one who goes to the slush pile, you decide, and, and you present them with what you think should go into the, what should be the canonical uh, uh, prayers of our, of our young children. How does that sit on you? Again, it's a symphony because what I love and curate and present to editors is totally different from another agent. Um, I'm not worried that I'm um, crushing someone's dream because I know there's another agent out there for them, or there's just another path. You know, some people self-publish. Um, some people start their own publishing companies. Some people um, find that it wasn't what they wanted to do in the first place. You know, there was actually something else. Um, I mean, people discover that about genres, you know, they are so focused on a genre. And then you ask them, well, um, what do you read? And they're reading a totally different genre. And you think that's what you should be writing in. You know, you should write in the genre you love. But I'm not worried. I don't feel like, um, I, I truly don't, because I know how many agents are out there. Um, and I know when people submit to me, they don't just submit to me. They're submitting to dozens of others. Um, so, I know, but Anna, I'm going, I'm, going to, I'm going to make this more specific, okay? Um, because you are very limited, you accept only author illustrators, and you have a specific uh, a desire for graphic novels these days, um, and uh, you're very picky, and you have also a wonderful cadre of uh, of talented, wonderful, wonderfully talented people, some of whom I know. Um, so you can sub you, you you receive submissions, but but you also have a full a full buffet. Yeah, it's but, hard, um, but I do take on new clients. Yeah, but but how many do you take on? You take on very few. You get you get you get hundreds of submissions a month. Yes. But most of those are not author illustrators um, or they're not in the genre um, that I represent. I, I think it's clear not many people check the website um, before they submit, which is OK. Um, but, yeah, um, it is few. 
but again, I just, I feel like there's so many agents out there. Um, I'm not the only fish in the sea. Yeah. Okay. But, but okay. So here, I wouldn't make this point clear. I wasn't clear enough. Okay. Um, Rena Rossner in, in our interview, she told me that when she takes a client, the chances are better than 50% that she will sell that client. Uh, I, I think that that perhaps is is your case also. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, an agent will see thousands of manuscripts or hundreds of manuscripts and pick one seed mm-hmm. that then has 50% chances of blossoming into a tree. I'm using your analogy. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so the, 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 the horticulturalist is you, not the not the editor, not the acquiring editor, because you are the one who mulls through hundreds and thousands of seeds. And then when you pick one, okay, and, and I've already learned how wonderful you are in being able to find the nuances and improve manuscripts, then um, this seed is going to find a home at one of the houses, a big house or a little house. So you are really the, the, the person who decides what prayer books the children of America and perhaps UK are going to grow up on. I think the editors have more power. Um, and I don't. You don't? Because I, I think that, first of all, there are publishers that don't require agented manuscripts. Um, there are plenty of publishers who don't. I, I, I haven't actually figured it out, but I should try and figure out what percentage of editors I submit to actually submit, actually accept my client's work. I think it's pretty small. Um, you know, I'm not getting multiple offers for everything I send out. It usually comes down to one publisher. Um, and, you know, which I wish I'd known which one it was going to be at the very beginning. But, um, you know, yeah, it, it, it wouldn't be fun if you knew. <laughs> right. Okay. But also, that's because of my taste. I don't have really commercial mass market taste so like for example the graphic novels that i take on i usually take on serious non-fiction beautifully illustrated graphic novels i'm not doing superheroes i'm not doing dystopian fantasy um you know lots of other people do that so i'm just not the right agent and what I hope is that when I do take on a client, it's a client that nobody else wanted to take on because they didn't see the potential, but I could. So that's what I hope. Oh, wow. Those are very powerful words. So uh, let's talk about the potential of Anna, because uh, you said something else. Um, most most authors have egos and, and sure, they're, they're happy when other people get published and sure they're happy to help and it's a very helping and mutual mutualistic uh, society of authors um but what about anna you know you you gave up on your musical career and you've written several wonderful children's books and now most of your time is helping other people and promoting your dad's music what's with anna I'm still writing. Um, I still I still am working on books. Um, but the one thing I've learned from being an agent is that it takes time. And I don't think it's realistic to for most writers to think you'll be published every year. Um, I don't I just I don't think that's real. I haven't seen it. Um, first of all, editors are overwhelmed. They can't publish 
more than one book per author per year. Um, and also it gives you time to grow. I think the reason so many bad manuscripts go out and bad books are published is because they didn't have enough time to really develop. Um, I think putting a manuscript away for three months and looking at it cold is the best thing you can do as an author. You, you can see that manuscript at that point the way somebody else sees it because it is so cold. Um, so I, I have learned patience um, with, you know, I do have a large number of clients. I see how their careers go. I see that it is just book after book after book. And it's not always year after year, but it is consistency and persistence. And it just, it just takes patience. Um, I think it's, it's a race for the long term. It's not a short term race. Okay, so let's I, talk. Yeah. Okay. I, I, also, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, you're looking at people who also illustrate their own texts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it literally takes a year at least to right. get right. the text and the illustrations going. I know from my friends who've succeeded, sometimes two years. Mm -hmm. um, and um, let's go back now then to Anna, the author. And you have this great story. Um, Maybe you should mention the, the, the books that you've published. And I want to go back to your little mini books. I love that story. Um, well, I'll actually start with the uh, miniature books because that was my um, way to cope with not getting accepted for publication when I was uh, an aspiring writer. Um, so I thought I would self-publish, but I didn't want to self-publish the way everybody else self-published. I wanted to do limited edition books that were numbered, that appealed to collectors. And I'm not sure how I discovered miniature books, but there is this whole business and world of miniature books. Um, and so that's, and, and the, also the beauty about a miniature book is because it takes space to put your story in this miniature book. You don't have to have 15 illustrations. You can just have one. And the little book is full, you know, because of the text. Um, so it was perfect. Um, and I, I enjoyed picking out the marbleized paper for the cover and the fake leather for the spine. And, you know, it, it, was, it was just fun. Um, and then uh, two of those did lead to commercial publication with a small publisher. Um, and these were unagented deals. Right, right. Okay, can, can right. you show, like, um, we have, like, uh, the people who are watching uh, the video cast and then people who will listen to the audio cast. Um, mm -hmm. But you can actually show one of your mini books to yes. the people watching, and they're gorgeous, and they're numbered. <laughs> like, you invented NFTs 40 years before... <laughs> Uh, I wish I could show you to scale. When we meet, when we when we when we when we meet in New York or New Jersey or in Tel Aviv, I'm going to buy one of those. Um, it is. It has marbleized paper for the cover. It has fake um, leather for the spine. It is gold imprinted. Um, it has a colophon at the back where I fill in what number of the edition it is for the collector. And also, if you can see, 
Is that upside down? No, it's fine. That, which one? Now, now, <laughs> it's in, now it's in Hebrew. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. It says Greenhorn. And that's one of the ones that became commercially published. Um, so was that my ulterior motive? Possibly. Um, but I just loved being in that world. Um, and today, if I were in that position, I might do NFTs, I might do ebooks, um, I might do a limited edition, I might start my own magazine, um, but I wouldn't sit on my hands. Um, I would find a way to, to exercise my creativity. Um, and, I, and I think everybody should, because you, to sit around and complain because an agent or an editor has not picked up your work, and, and just, it's not going to be, it's not going to lead to anything good, I don't think. Um, and then what was the next question you asked me? I was asking you about your books. So okay. you talked about the mini books. Um, you want to talk now about uh, your Rabbi in Moscow book. Okay. So that was the your, start. Your hilarious uh, um, theft book. Uh, the Shlemiel Crooks. Um, I, I, I have to remind you of your books. <laughs> Shlemiel Crooks. Well, that, okay. So that was, um, I had discovered during, through genealogy research, I discovered a Yiddish newspaper article about my great-grandfather um, who lived in St. Louis. And these crooks, um, tried to steal. He, he this was during prohibition, but you were allowed to have um, you know religious liquor. So he had a kosher liquor store, um, and he had just gotten in his shipment of Passover wine, and these crooks tried to steal um, everything. And um, but the neighbors heard, and these were the yeah. You know, this was the this was nineteen. 18 this was the wild west so people had guns and they were shooting them at the window to scare them off um and what was so funny to me was when the crooks ran away they left their horse and wagon so they left with less than what they came with and i just thought that was i just thought it was funny um so that was the basis of my my first children's book um that was based on genealogy research. The second book was based on a story I heard from my rabbi, which was a Holocaust story. And this, and Rabbi Grossman um, was an, had, an, had an amazing life and he told amazing stories about what he had been through. And I, I just knew from an early time when I met him, that I may have had the writing skills, but I didn't have the life experience to create a really powerful book. And he had the life experience. So um, I listened to every story he told and wrote it down. Um, and A Visit to Moscow was one of the stories he told. But as, and again, this was a thing about being patient that I had learned as an agent was, I was patient for so long that graphic novels came into style. And that was not something I would have conceived of at the very beginning. I thought maybe it could be a picture book, a short story. Um, I did want it to have illustrations. But until graphic novels got to be so popular, adult fiction did not have illustrations. It was just not 
encouraged. It was, it was, I, and I can remember at one writer's conference, um, I asked an editor, why can't there be illustrations to a collection of short stories for adults? And she said, adults don't need illustrations. And it was just, you know, such a dismissive comment that, that thank God I lived long enough and I waited long enough that a visit to Moscow could be a graphic novel. And I had this wonderful client, uh, Yevgeny Neberg, who lived in the former Soviet Union. And I just knew she would be the perfect artist for this. So I did package it. Um, I, didn't, I did not submit just the text to the publisher. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like most of the things that I like, it was not commercial. It was not mass market. I sent it to a lot of publishers and one small publisher made an offer. Yeah, that was it. But it 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 worked out. So so Anna, were you ever an agent with an agent? Yes. Have you, I was. At the beginning, my first agent um actually sold one of my picture books to double what was double day then. And you know, it was like a dream come true. And then Random House reorganized. They fired all the editors. Um, the book just got lost in the shuffle and it was never published. Um, so, and that was probably in the middle 80s. So it took at least 20 years before I uh, was published after that. So it, it was a real setback. Um, but that agent left the business. I did get another agent who who sold that first Lemuel Crooks book. Um, but then, you know, it got to the point where I could see that my work was not going to sell to big publishers and it was not, not going to be much for her. So, you know, we parted ways um, amicably. And I felt that with my experience as an agent, I could handle a contract. I, I think a lot of agents use other agents for their contracts because they don't want to talk money with their editor. They don't want it to get sticky. I don't care, you know. <laughs> so. I think uh, I think that you uh, should be your own agent. I, I actually know a lot of agents who are not. I mean, there's so many people who would want you as an agent. Why wouldn't you want you as an agent? <laughs> and, you know, and you can pay yourself the 15%. It's a mechaia, right. as right. us Jews say. It doesn't, right. get any, doesn't get any better than that. You know, it's, it's almost <laughs> Jackie Mason. So when do you want the 15%? Now? Or when I'm dead. <laughs> or when I'm dead. Do, do you want to talk about dead people? Okay. Because... Uh, some of my um, clients are dead. Um, it's true. Um, and they're wonderful to work with. Um, but I, I actually, I was thinking about that. Um, not only have some of my clients died, and I still send out their work, um, I represent, with another agent, I represent the estate of Eleanor Roosevelt. So we still find things to show publishers for her. I represent the literary estate of uh, Marvin Hamlish, the composer. Um, He had written a wonderful children's book uh, when he was alive and and also an adult book. So he's still trying to do some things with that. Um, And then of course the estate of Rabbi Grossman. Um, He left 
at least three or four more manuscripts um, that I'll be working on. So, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, I like the challenge. I like the creativity. Um, I just, I like trying to do what other people think is either impossible or not a good idea. I just like to do it, which is probably that 60s rebellious part of me, you know, that didn't want to take any drawing classes. So uh, beyond um, the, um, the statistics that I always share, that the chance of getting published today is less than one in a thousand. Uh, we don't know how much less. Uh, what um, advice would you like to give to our audience of aspiring authors, illustrators? I think for illustrators, it's just as bad. Yeah. Um, so what, 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 what is your best advice other than um, never giving up? Make sure you are the best you can be, which means always consider yourself a student. Um, be curious. Love to read in your genre and try and figure out what those books that you love, what it is that's going on in those books that you could do. Um, and be creative. Don't think there's only one right answer for a question. There are lots of answers. And maybe right now being published by a traditional publisher is not the answer. Maybe there's something else that will lead to that. So be creative. That, that, that's wonderful. So um, I, I also, do you want to talk about publishing? Because I got the feeling that one of the things that you would really like to do is to actually be a publisher. Well, it would be great not to have my client's work rejected, you know, if I could just publish it. Um, but, and I think I'm, I'm doing a little of that because I'm starting to try to do some NFTs with some of my client's work which is a form of self-publishing. Um, it, it, you know, back in the early days, there were a lot of agents who actually published their clients' work as eBooks. Um, well, we, we have to talk about that, Anna, because I have a an eBook publishing house. So maybe you should be the publisher of my... Maybe, yeah, we should we should talk. Let, let, let's, let's throw everybody out and have a little conversation. Well, see, that's the point. There are so many options. You know, there's so many answers to every question. Um, and, 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 I, yeah, and, and I'll tell you that I, I've interviewed about 100 authors uh, on this show. And, you know, you say it's exceptional to get. And, and you know, I just had a book published in Israel. And, and it's also a Michigan story. It's not like... Um, all the stories are Michigan, right? There's no such thing as I uh, I woke up in the morning, I wrote a story, I put it in an envelope, I sent it to it. Yeah, that happens, but it, it, it's completely crazy. Mostly, it's like um, I crossed the street, you know. Um, I went to a conference, and the guy I was on the bus with. It, it's, it's never one of these, you know, you, you have to try very hard and have a wonderful penmanship or authorship or whatever, and then cross the right street at the right time. But and but also be open. Um, oh be yeah, open, be open to the fact that what you might think is not what you want to do. It's not quite right, but be open to it um, because it might be the best next step. Absolutely, um, Anna. When we before we had this wonderful um, a conversation, um, 
you were worried. You said, okay, Mel, but I don't want it to be an interview. Uh, and I want to interview you back. Um, is there anything, did you feel that we were interviewing or was it a conversation? No, I think we're, we're holding my interview of you for the next time. <laughs> um, but I, I think, I think, first of all, what you've learned on your eight-year journey, you know, of trying to get published, I think that's worth hearing about. And I, and I love the fact that you started out in the sciences and now you're in the arts um, and what you've learned about that. And what you've learned as a, as a, as a father, as a, um, you know, living in Israel, I just, you know, I think there's a lot that you bring to the table that I, I would like to interview you. You've got it. I, it because um, I now think that you should be my, uh, uh, you should be an interviewer on the NBN. <laughs> I think it'd be wonderful. And I know that you've done a lot of interviews, you see. Well, actually, that was at the beginning when I was not being published. That was how I satisfied my thirst for the publishing world. I interviewed a lot of people. It was fun. Um, and of course, that was before podcasts. So they were all written uh, interviews that were online. But it, it, you know, you have to, if you love publishing, if you love the world of books and you're not being published, there are other ways to participate. Um, and interviewing people in that world is a great way. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna petition Marshall to, to make you a host. And um, and then you can interview me, and I'll <laughs> I'll be your I'll be your first interviewee. How, how how's that? All right, all right. We'll talk. My people will call your people. <laughs> whither whither thou goest? <laughs> so uh, and we haven't talked about Jewish books. Let, let's talk about that another time. Okay. Um and uh, and persecution of bald males, um, which I which I suffer from. As a, as a writer. Um, I was told that I should change my name to Melissa, and I'm considering it. Um, so it, it, it's time to chase everybody away, and uh, I'm going to do that gracefully, I, I hope. Uh, so Anna Olswanger, it's been wonderful having you on the Children's Literature Channel for the New Books Network, which I, meanwhile, get to host. And I'm Mel Rosenberg, and this has been tons of fun. So we're going to chase everybody away. And in two minutes, I'll see you back here. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Anna. It was great. Thank you.